Welcome to the Fearing Greed Daily Interview. I'm Sean Aylmer. It's been a big week in the world of economics. The Reserve Bank Board met on Tuesday and kept interest rates on hold, very low. And then yesterday's GDP data showed the economy grew by 1.8% in the March quarter. And the economy is about 1.1% bigger than a year ago. It means economic activity has now recovered to be above pre-pandemic levels. I wanted to speak to one of our favourite economists to get her take on how the recovery is going and what lies ahead. Joe Masters is the Chief Economist at EY. Joe, welcome back. Always great to talk to you. You must have had a great time the last couple of days. More data than you can poke a stick at. The economy performing better than expected. Even the global figures are good. How much fun have you had in the last sort of 72 hours? It may sound surprising to call it fun, but I'm pretty passionate about my job, which I hope you and your listeners know. And so it's it's been obviously a really busy period, but one where we have had this big update on the economy. And as you said, you know, it is good news. We are back. We are back to where we were before COVID for the economy, for the labor market. We even saw productivity rise in the March quarter. So yeah, it's been a good week. So what was your read on the GDP data? Are we about where we you expected us to be? I mean, I guess when we think about are we where we expected to be depends on when we were talking about, right? But yeah, what we yeah. have seen is the economy has continued to outperform expectations, perform towards the upper end, if not above even the most optimistic scenarios. And look, that's again the case. Uh, the momentum that we saw in the economy that recovery towards the end of last year has continued into 2021, not just from the GDP data, but we can see it from the partial data, even into the June quarter as well. Now, the momentum's slowing a little bit, but we expected that. But look, it's a good set of numbers and Australia's in a good position. Yeah. So if we delve into the numbers a little bit, I suppose business investment was a bit of a surprise yesterday. Absolutely. And look, you know, I've been talking about business investment and that lack of dynamism for some time now, but there's no doubt that we have seen private business investment come back. It is recovering faster than we have seen in other recessions. We're clearly seeing businesses respond to government stimulus, but also those particular measures around tax designed to underpin investment. Now, when you look under the hood, though, it's not really broadly based. We've got investment in the residential construction sector, so in houses in particular, and also in machinery and equipment, but not really more broadly than that. And I guess one of the questions, I don't want to be a doomsayer, but one of the questions is how much of this is a bring forward of investment that would have happened anyway to take advantage of instant asset write-off and how much is actually you know, new or additional investment that wouldn't have otherwise happened. So kind of as an example, it's the tradie who buys the new Toyota Hilux ute could well have brought it forward because of the instant write-off provisions. Look, that's exactly right. So, you know, the question is, would that tradie have bought the ute anyway in the next two or three months? So do they just bring it forward? Or maybe they bring it forward and buy a slightly more expensive ute because they've got this tax offset. But are we seeing people buy a ute that otherwise wouldn't have done so. And the honest truth is we don't know, but we do know from previous economic cycles where we've used these types of tax incentives that some of it at least, and usually quite a high proportion is a bring forward. So you can end up with an investment hole down the track. Okay. So what about the household spending rate and and savings rate? That dropped a bit. Uh, Look, 
It did. So the household has really been driving this economic recovery. I actually think one of the encouraging things in this data is that we've seen a bit of a broadening of the economic base. So the consumer still added to growth, uh, was still quite a big contributor to economic growth in the quarter, but it's now being helped along with business investment and the residential investment side of things. Also, obviously, stock accumulation and a few other bits and pieces. The most encouraging thing, I guess, for the consumer is that we did see a decline in the amount of government support going into household income. We saw that step down in JobKeeper and JobSeeker, but nonetheless, disposable income still rose, and that's because wages and salaries uh, mainly have offset that. So that's that balancing between winding down support and the domestic economy coming back. Look, the household savings rate did fall a little bit. It is a residual number. We don't actually measure it and it is open to revision. So at 11.6%, it is still elevated. It's still above the peak that we saw post-GFC. I actually think that's a good thing. Mm. Households have been able to get out and spend and they've still got all this savings they can draw on down the track. Now, you mentioned stock accumulation then. I always find that really interesting in the GDP because you would think a build-up of stocks would detract from growth, but in actual fact, it's the other way around. Yeah, so it is a little counterintuitive, and that's because GDP measures activity in the quarter. So when we produce something and uh, or we import something and we add it to our stock, it, it sits there as a positive. As you said, there's kind of two ways you can think about it. It does boost growth in this quarter but it does mean that businesses need to see higher sales down the track to keep on producing goods. Okay. And and then trade obviously boosted the growth figure, particularly iron ore prices. Well, uh, yes, we saw net exports overall detract um, from GDP. And that, of course, is imports and exports. So we have seen a very high prices for iron ore, but actually the volume story hasn't been quite as positive. So we did see exports up, but not as much as just the iron ore price alone would tell you. But we are seeing imports remain really, really strong. And that's reflective of this strong domestic economy, households out there spending and businesses now investing. Okay. So what's all this mean for the rest of the year, do you think? I think the economy is in good shape. I think there is some underlying momentum that is going to continue to see the economy recover and over time start to reduce that spare capacity in the labour market. The momentum will be slower in the next few quarters than it has been in the last three, though. And most of that is just, look, the easy wins, the quick wins from easing restrictions and the boost to economic activity that you get are now behind us. And of course, government support, still very substantial, but starting to moderate. So I think we'll see positive GDP, but it's going to be a bit slower than we've seen in the last uh, few quarters. I also think increasingly, you know, the rollout of the vaccine is just critical to the economic outlook because the next sort of wins we've got in terms of easing restrictions are around keeping our domestic borders open, minimising or or removing the prospect of lockdowns like we're seeing in Victoria and opening up our international border. So it's all about vaccines now. Okay. Do you think these figures, and it's almost six months worth of figures now really, will kind of cause the government, and we're keeping in mind it's an election year, of course, cause government just to pull the reins back a little bit on fiscal policy? I guess we had a budget that was still, you know, very, very generous in terms of the amount of government support. Now, economists, of course, would tell you that it is tapering, you know, fiscal support is becoming less supportive, even though the amount of spending is is really positive. I guess the thing is that you're going to get an economic dividend to the bottom line of the budget, right? When the economy performs stronger than expected, the labour market performs better, we get a, a stronger starting point. And in an election year, there is obviously some appetite to spend at least some of that. So I'm not sure about pullback. 
Stay with me, Joe. We'll be back in a minute. My guest this morning is EY Chief Economist Joe Masters. So if you're sitting in Martin Place, which is where the Reserve Bank is, and the board came out and again reiterated that they were going to keep interest rates on hold for the next three years or so, even if they do do something less expensive in the bond market, do you think these figures will influence them much? I think these figures would be welcome in the sense that they confirm that the recovery is continuing and the economy is in good shape. From the Reserve Bank's perspective, though, it is about getting actual inflation back inside the band sustainably, which means more than just one print. So it's really about running economic growth fast enough to reduce that spare capacity in the labour market. Look, I, I think the risk is more tilted towards an earlier rate hike than 2024 rather than a later rate hike. But I think we need to remember that there is quite a bit that the RBA can do in terms of tightening overall monetary conditions before they have to do anything on the cash rate. As you said, we've got a decision in July around the the three-year target for the yield curve control, around the bond buying program, the quantitative easing program. Already the term funding facility is coming to an end and, and that's going to impact the cost of funds for local banks and probably feed through into retail rates a little bit. So we will see a progressive sort of tightening of policy. Okay. You mentioned a moment ago that inflation was probably, or it would print for a quarter. Uh, the idea being that it, it may spike this quarter, though it will come back down. Is that what you think with inflation? Yeah, we're going to see a spike in headline CPI when the next print comes out. And a lot of that is to do with the fact that we had that free childcare this time last year and that unwinds. So so you get a big spike there. Economists call it a base effect. But for the Reserve Bank, it's really about core inflation or underlying inflation. And, you know, that hasn't been inside the pan since 2015. So it's been a long time, not just related to COVID. And really, the main driver of core inflation still remains wage growth, and wage growth is yet to pick up. I know lots of people are talking about skills shortages in some parts of the economy, and the RBA did note that. But we still have underutilization sitting at 13.5%, and our modelling suggests you have to get that well below 12% to generate economy-wide wage growth. So when does that happen? I wish I knew. Um, It's the ultimate question. (laughs) Yeah, it's a good question. And there's two key uncertainties to that, I guess. The first one is how quickly can we drive the unemployment rate down? Now, when we keep seeing an economy that's growing faster than we thought, then you'll drive the unemployment rate lower faster than you thought. So we could well get, you know, to 5% by the end of this year, maybe even a little bit below that, given how well we're going. And if we can get the vaccine rollout accelerated, The second piece, though, to that is around your international border, because that obviously impacts the growth of your workforce. And then the next um, part of the equation is where is full employment or what economists call Nairu, right? And there's a lot of debate about that. It does, you know, clearly below 5%. The RBA think in the low fours, maybe even starting with a three, which means you've got to get your unemployment rate down to the low fours or the high threes before you really generate serious wage growth. And then you've got to wait a quarter or two for that to feed through to inflation. Okay. And just before you go, I mean, Victoria's lockdown has been extended for another seven days. It costs the economy around $100 million a day, according to uh, Stephen Kennedy, the Treasury Secretary. How long will that take for Victoria to get back to normal if it comes off in seven days? Are businesses rebounding quicker now than they would have 12 months ago? So we are seeing at the moment, you know, lockdowns in 2021 are having less economic impact than in 2020. And there's a couple of reasons for that. The first one is for many businesses, 
pivoting their workforce to work from home is is now pretty normal, right? And we can do yeah. it and, and lots of businesses know how to operate from home. So there's less disruption from that. Households equally the same. They're quite used to being locked down. They keep spending on some things or they realise that they get a bit of savings and they go out and spend that when restrictions ease. We're not seeing prolonged impact on consumer confidence from any of these lockdowns. Now, the Melbourne one is, a Victorian one is a bit longer uh, than others, but I think that will still hold true. The unknown is this is the first lockdown and it is two weeks at this stage, so relatively long, that's occurring without JobKeeper support. So I think for those businesses that were still struggling before this lockdown that are directly impacted by restrictions, so things like, you know, small businesses that own cafes, for example, without the support of JobKeeper, that's going to be pretty challenging, I would think. Joe, I know it's a very busy time for you, so I appreciate you taking the time to talk to Fear and Greed. My pleasure. It's always enjoyable to talk to you. That was EY Chief Economist Joe Masters. This is a Fear and Greed daily interview. Join me every morning for the full Fear and Greed podcast with all the business news you need to know. I'm Sean Aylmer. Enjoy your day.